This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Good morning. Hey, everybody. This is Todd DeVoe, your host of the EM Weekly Show. And today, yes, we are broadcasting um, during the EM student time and for a couple different reasons. And one is Dan uh, will not be here with us today. He is um, he's out. So we brought in a pinch hitter uh, quickly today, this morning, and his name is John Scardina. And he has his own podcast. We'll talk about that in a minute. John, welcome to the EM student slash EM weekly show. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So first of all, Dan, I know you're listening and miss your face, man, this morning. It's uh, your big fuzzy face and your cheery smile. Uh, but we'll have you back, obviously, uh, on your next show. And everybody here misses you too, Dan. So, uh, John, well, welcome to the show. And uh, um, it's going to be a fast one, not a fast one necessarily, but a lot of topic. We're going to be talking about 2020, the year in review. And, oh, my God, it ends. It's ending. 2020 is ending tomorrow night. <laughs> I know, right? The year of years. Is that finally over? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember when I was a kid, years seemed to go really slow, and it seemed like this year they're going super slow, and it's finally over. Uh, oh, that's funny that you're saying. I mean, this year has flown by for me, and and then on top of everything else, I had a baby this year, so oh. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> this baby. year has just been 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 going, man. So yeah, yeah. Funny. Well, congratulations on on the baby and everything, and uh, uh, hey, at least you you know you know, get to stay home a little bit more with them, and you know her. What a boy or girl? Yeah. I forget. It's a girl. Yeah, that's right. Her name is Millie. Uh, girls are great and you know why girls um have uh such small fingers right no it's easier to wrap their daddies around them so (laughs) (laughs) i like that i like that a lot man she she gets my attention i have a i have a boy and a girl now and uh two under two and um oh my gosh like it's it's pure love when i go back to that house and it's a lot of fun so That, that is a lot of fun and wow two under two that is you guys are crazy, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's all <laughs> In right. COVID, 202, yeah. So 2020, you know, kind of started off with craziness, right? I mean, worldwide, we're talking. Australia was burning in December, moved into January. And we thought that was going to be, you know, the big story of the year, right? I mean, it was an amazing yeah. fire. Uh, I mean, I forgot how many acres it burned but it was almost more than some size of some countries over there um and and you know and it looks like they're they're dry again this year but so we thought that was going to be the story yet china had a different uh plan and uh covid uh comes out or the the corona the novel coronavirus comes out which later has been uh determined to be covid 19 which is a variant of the sars uh, virus and uh, so we're dealing with that and here in california we are dealing in new york too and a couple other places we're dealing with our second wave um or a wave within a wave as some people are saying and it doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon let's so let's start with start with covid 
how, yeah. how has that impacted emergency management, you think, uh, this year? Yeah, so that's a great question because uh, pretty much everybody that I've brought on who's doing response, uh, I, that's like obviously like the prime question. is like, how has it changed your response? Um, and I think the big thing is how you deal with survivors and sheltering. You can't do conjugate sheltering anymore. You can't do the, these mass shelters. And so in California, for example, in the wildfires in August, they had 160 hotels that they were trying to use to put survivors in, and they weren't putting any more than five survivors in a hotel. So that's just like mind boggling, the, the logistics of trying to figure out how to feed people where they're at, you know, try to get them through, like, through paperwork, even if they need a grant or if they need assistance from FEMA. And so it just becomes like the complexity of how to help survivors and then how to make sure that the responders don't get sick in the meantime, it just becomes a, you know, a logistical cluster essentially. So that would yeah. be my big call out. You know, what I also found interesting too is a lot of our EOCs this year uh, were run virtually. Mm. Um, not a lot um, opened up their doors because of fear of COVID. Um, and then the other thing too, what I found interesting is people were finding uh, unique ways to use technology that wasn't your traditional mm. um, box, on, you know, big money um, incident management uh, software. They're using things like Slack and Teams and Zoom. And, and uh, so it was kind of interesting to see, um, looking at things like on LinkedIn and, and talking to people who, who are doing unique ways of budget-friendly uh, incident management software, if you will, for lack of a better term, um, using different things like that. What do you think of that part of it? Well, so I asked Tim Britt, who uh, he and I served on the national team together, the National IMAT West at the time, National IMAT Red now. Um, I said, hey, if you had to do another one of these, what what would it look like? Because um, if I, we're talking about, like, let's say if there was a, another, another sea burning event and they had to do 100% virtual. And he was talking about, uh, you know, how to how to set up objectives and timelines very quickly. I mean, we always talk about an emergency management communication. That's always like the, the standard AAR, right? The after action mm -hmm. report. But I think this time it, it became so much more critical to say at noon every day, this is when we're talking, we're talking, you know, we're going to do our, our ops period. They have to be absolutely perfect. Um, and, and you, to your point, you're talking about the EOCs, more EOCs were activated this year than ever before. And you had Florida go down. That made the news. I believe uh, in her during Hurricane Laura, uh, we had the massive problem with uh, COVID and, and responders down there in Louisiana. And so, like they had they had to force themselves to work in these austere environments. That, quite frankly, whether the, the budget wasn't there beforehand or the the amount of personnel weren't there beforehand, like there was a huge learning curve of how to use really simple things. And then the last part of that would be, it's so funny. When we talk to emergency managers, sometimes they get into this like hyper, like, oh, everything's really sensitive. Like, no, most people don't care that, you know, like the, the, the incident size. Like I would, I would talk to people and like, I can't show, show them how many counties were impacted by the incident. I'm like, that's on CNN, dude. Like, that's not <laughs> sensitive information. And so I think this year really for, forced people to say, okay, here's a security issue. Here's like a, like a PII, a personal identifiable information issue. And then here's just like your quick need to know, send out a quick test me message, you know, get people rolling. I, I, I mean, 
it's just been totally ch- changing our mindset too of how we focus on, you know, the response. I mean, wh- what do you think? I mean, you're, t- you're talking about technology, but you're like the technology guru over there. You have, <laughs> you're doing live, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, it's amazing. So you should do training on it. Yeah. Well, thank you. For, hang on. Oh, you got me laughing. I had to cough a little bit. Um, That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that when we start taking a look at technology and the stuff that's out there, I mean, there is no reason at this, unless like you lose complete power or the, you know, the, uh, what, what is it? The one that the Corona, the, what is the one on the sun blast? The Corona mass ejection? Oh, the uh, mass ejection. Yeah. The yeah. EMP. The EMP, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're under that type of stuff and, and, unless you lose power completely uh, or whatever. And even that, I mean, like if you have backup power, you can still run most of the software. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are things like, like I say, like using um, Slack or, or Jira or, um Airtable or any of these things that are out there that you can do collaboration tools, Dropbox paper, uh Google uh documents. I mean there's all this stuff that's out there that you can mm-hmm. that you can I'm talking about people that are on a budget. You know, you can you could do this. Or if you have the money to spend, I mean using the I'm not I'm not gonna add it put out ads from anybody right now, but you can <laughs> use you can use the the uh, um expensive stuff if you want, you know, which which works really well too. Um, but it's about having processes and systems in place. And like you're saying, you know, if you're going to do Zoom meetings, right, or team meetings, whatever you're using, yeah, stay noon. We're going to be everybody's going to meet at this time or every hour. Or because the nice, the nice thing about Teams and Zoom is that you can do um, breakout rooms, so you can have your planning section in its own room. Uh, you know, you can have your uh, your operation section in their own room, and then you can come together in a main room. So things like this that that are are uh, I think seeing that uh, working out. I mean, oddly enough, years ago yeah. um, at the community college I was teaching at, they created a virtual EOC for training purposes, all the way up to having desks you can pull folders mm. out and PDF stuff. So stuff that's been around for a bit. Um, just people didn't embrace it because they thought it was never going to be used. And lo and behold, here we are using virtual EOCs and people are scrambling, you know, Um, go ahead. Yeah. It's so funny to me because I remember, uh, man, which disaster was it? Maybe I always talk about hurricane Harvey. I talk about it too much, but, uh, during hurricane Harvey, we had 26,000 federal responders. And, um, when I was on the national team, I had switched over from operations to, uh, more of like a geospatial intelligence role. And I'm, uh, in fact, I was in charge of geospatial intelligence. And everybody wanted their paper maps. And I understand the value of drawing on your paper maps, but it drove me nuts. I'm like, I could just have an intern or FEMA Corps. The FEMA Corps dri- drives them crazy if I say, call them interns. But uh, if, if I have the FEMA Corps just say, hey, let's, let's just pump this out to everybody digitally. You know, not just email, but like if we could get like it on the TV screens and we could, you know, send it out to the field locations like that way, we could get situational awareness so much higher. And I think that's really the end goal of what we're getting to here is you always want to have that face to face. You want to be able to read people. Emergency managers, it's kind of a misnomer, that name, right? It's, it's more of an emergency coordinator. Yeah. Um, but like at the end of the day, it's, if the faster you can get a great situational awareness and get it, start getting ahead I mean, it'll, it'll create a snowball when you start to get behind. And I think the biggest, one of the biggest hindrances is our field, we're traditionalists. 
hey, we come from, you know, these backgrounds and we want to have, you know, our set. Okay, we always got to follow ICS. We always got to follow technology. We always got to follow like, uh, like these same processes. And COVID, the, the horrible silver lining, I guess you could say, is that it's forcing us to say, okay, what's most important? How do we get the information the fastest? How do we help people the fastest, especially when there's logistical errors or, or, or complexities? You know, Craig Fouquet um, loves to talk about the fact of the ICS purists, you know, and, he, and it kind of drives him crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think ICS is a tool um, yeah. and, and it can be used, but sometimes we have to, you know, <coughs> excuse me, massage that a little bit, you know what I mean? To, to make it work for, for what we're doing. Um, it's a guideline, not a rule. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I have to, you know, we have my sponsor, Titan HST back here. Um, you know, one of the things that they have, which I think is really cool, is on their maps, um, you could actually, for situational awareness, you, you could drop pins on the maps, talk, mm. and, and it's on your phone, right? So it, even if you're not sitting at the EOC, you can see where everything is happening just by a quick glance on the map and see where all the where all the situations are going on. Um, I yeah. mean, and then Johns Hopkins, they used that that the COVID map, like, it's a beautiful tool, you know, yeah. and I, I, I will, I think it's a, I want to say it was an Esri board uh, that it they is. were using. It yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, like that's another tool too. Esri's an, an amazing company. We, um, so, so the, the disaster tough podcast is actually owned by Doberman emergency management. So the company that like the small business that I run and using some of that GIS skills, um, we actually on our website, we have a, um, a sit board for COVID and we embedded Johns Hopkins data and I, as a guy who appreciates data, man, I cannot like is the best thing that I've ever seen. I mean, you can click on all these different boards. You can see the growth rate. You can see these waves. You can, you can look at the data and you know, if you take opinion out of emergency management and you really start to, to, to figure out an analytical response, combining that with experience, and that's when these guys are, are, you know, guys and girls out in the field are really able to, to hit hard because they're able to say like, Hey, this, this isn't just like, oh, I think the volcano is going to go. Like, hey, we're using some data here. You should probably get off the mountain, you know. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I think that validates us moving forward too. But um, you know, it's not a perfect science either. You know, so so I guess like my my feeder question into you because we've had a lot of weather events. Um, mm. You know, we have to deal with imperfect data, even if we have all the experience. How would you address emergency managers who are like? Hey, we got the last weather event wrong, but still evacuate. How would you deal with that? Well, okay, there's a couple of things, and then I was going to bring this up as well. So, talk about weather. We went through the entire alphabet this year for name storms, right? So, right. I mean, it was yeah. a crazy weather year, and and yeah, I mean the the weather coming in, um, and our information is only as good as the models that are out there. Um, I think the National Weather Service does a great job of of doing what they do, and I mean, for that being said, I, I would defer to to what their information is. We we're making decisions based upon. It'd be great to have eighty percent of the information, but I think we're mm. still sticking around like maybe sixty percent of accurate information coming in. You know, and and yeah, that's a, that's a lucky number. Hopefully, that's a good number. And that's a, sixty number sixty would be high right now. Yeah. yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of said, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of put it like this, you know. Um, 
and I would be, I would be, you know, basically we're making the decisions based on this information and yeah, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. And I would rather err on the side of, of caution than say, Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't evacuate because we're going to you know, piss some people off. And then yeah. God forbid we have a Katrina again or something like that where, you know, people are stuck because they, uh, we, we didn't make the right decision. Um, and, yeah. and again, when we talk about evacuation, uh, that's one of the things that we need to really take a look at the terminology that we're using because we have like the mandatory and voluntary and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I think if we can give more, more education to the the public on, on what these mean, or if we, if we change some of the verbiage just a little bit uh, to, to where they go, okay, yeah, this means that they really fear, um, you know, uh, this thing happening, but people are kind of weird, right? And go back to this. We had a tsunami warning. Um, we actually had a tsunami. It was a very small one. And what I mean by small is that it was a minus like one and a half foot tide at the time. Um, mm. At the beach, you can see it going in. I mean, it's, it's subduction zone came in. The chest, the waves came back. It was causing issues. You definitely didn't want to have anybody in that water because they wouldn't be able to swim in it because it was like a washer machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and instead of like when we put the tsunami warning out, instead of people leaving, people are flying driving in from like the Inland Empire in California because they you wanted to see, see the. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god! If that was like a you know a Indonesian tsunami, we would have had more deaths and stuff because people come down to the ocean to see the tsunami. So Just tell people it's radioactive. <laughs> Seriously, like that. People think radio, like radioactive material, is like uh, like contagious somehow. You know, we, like I uh, I I was in uh, 2011 with the Japan with the the Fukushima, and um, there was a lot of messaging put out about okay, if you if you are contracted, but like if you have it in your system, like that's one thing. But if you touch somebody else, that's not going to be a problem. I just talked about that with uh, another guy, um, Jason. Um, he came on the Jason Clapp came on the show, and he works at um, a facility out there. And so we were we were talking about it, and um, like that was like a, a big thing. It was like in Brazil, uh, an X-ray machine uh, got damaged, and kids were playing with the material. Unfortunately, they died. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, thousands and thousands of people went to go get checked because you know, like cities over. And so, like, it, I, I, I think you're, you're, calling, um, you're calling out what I've been trying to call out to, and I, you, you articulate it perfectly. It's like our messaging this year has been so abysmal. The messaging has been terrible. Mm-hmm. And emergency managers have to do better uh, messaging. Uh, I remember uh, I, got a, I got my first job in D.C. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, 15 years ago. And... Um, I remember that we were talking about uh, occupant emergency plans and um, the messaging that the, that we went with our branch uh, said, we, we are going to have mustering locations. And I was like, there's no one in this facility who understands what mustering means. It's really basic for us. It's a technically a Navy term, but you know, like, Hey, this is where you're supposed to meet. So we, our first evacuation, our, our test evacuation, cause we did it twice a year as a federal agency. And we're like, all right, go muster over there. And people were like, what? And so we literally had some people cross the street and start going into the sandwich shop 
And I was like, oh my gosh, they think we're talking about delicious foods and treats by talking about mustard. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, hey, can we just like talk a little bit more about common denominator of like common language here for people? And I, I think we could, I, I think we could uh, to definitely um, increase that for sure. So we got to, <laughs> excuse me, man. We have to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, I want to address some of the comments, and then I want to talk a little bit more about messaging. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed Mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Hey, everybody. You know, I've been talking about BankQuest bags um, here since I became a sponsor, and and I do love my BankQuest bag. I have a, a everyday carry bag over here. It's a... It's like a uh, briefcase type thing with all this really great pockets and everything in there. But I also have uh, one of their first aid bags that I put together. I took some of the gear that I got from um, Outer Limit Supply and I put it inside this bag. It's very bright. And then again, on the inside, when you open it up, check this out. It has this orange pockets on the inside and you can see everything that's in there. It's really great, easy to use, uh, great, great materials. And I love them. And actually, right now, if the holidays are over, but guess what? The discounts are still going in. For If you use EM5 Weekly, you get a 10% discount on your total purchase. So EM5 Weekly at your checkout at VanQuest.com. And uh, you know, let them know that uh, we sent you. So thank you for listening to our sponsors because without them, we could not bring you the quality content that we bring you. So, John, messaging. Sir. So we got a couple comments over here that I'd like to address. Um, so Eileen says, I'd like to, uh, that we have more access to raw data uh, to look at an, an argument that we hear or seen from professionals is from NOAA um, and so forth is that the raw data is coming in. And so maybe, you know, we have to talk a little bit about how do we digest, uh, make, you know, raw data and make that information into um, intelligence. Yeah. So, I would say that data is not information and you can manipulate data. And um, from, from a purely analytical standpoint, um, we have to constantly validate where we get that data from. We see this all the time in the news. 
Um, going back to, to Hurricane Harvey, actually, I had the SDO, the federal coordinator, come up to me, and uh, he was actually my team lead on the National Mail, and he was furious, and for good reason. He said, why in the, why in the heck did you send out these maps that show um, damage assessments on these homes? Like these are, you know, and he was going on and on and on about these damage assessments. And I was like, give me the map. And so I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, we didn't create this. And so we went back and we found from 2009, someone had basically taken um, an old damage assessment map of critical infrastructure actually, and changed the, changed the titles to make it look like it was Hurricane Harvey and posted that um, in um, the news there. And, you know, that was one of the, the big things was like uh, damage assessments on um, FEMA are way off than what they're saying to the news. It's much, much uh, better. Don't worry about it. Da, 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 da. Mm. And um, I said, uh, I, you know, I said to the team lead, I said, Hey, this is, this is showing like, I don't know, 20,000 possible locations that were hit. We had 700,000 claims. Um, and so like just, just validating that data is so important. And he did everything right. He saw, he saw this information. He saw this from a news outlet. He went right to the source. What it would have been, I would have been the, the guy responsible for it. And uh, we were able to track down that information and we have to fight that all the time. So the more we get raw data and we can validate those sources of data, it changes everything. And it, it shows why in a response, the federal government, the state, that the counties, they all need to be using the same data source. Mm-hmm. Because once you start getting cl- uh, different information in or different data in, you you have a problem. And so my thought process of disaster data is if you're ever going to go to Congress to do a hearing, make sure that you can back up everything and say, hey, 26, 27 federal agencies are using this data. Uh, the state used this data. We validated it with you know, universities. And you go on and on and on. And so like the more that we can validate beforehand so that we can trust that information in real time. And then as, as to your comment earlier, recognizing that, Hey, that's, that's still a 60% solution. We want to get up to 80% solution. 80% solution is enough, but in response, you might only have 10% dams in Michigan, right? The dams in Michigan went at, I think midnight two dams in May. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had to make a call very quickly and luckily, they already had it in their plan that says, okay, if a dam goes, we're going to evacuate these 10,000 people, a quarter of the, the population. And they did, and they were able to get them out. So that was all pre-planning, and you have to make split-second decisions. Absolutely. You know, Daniel says, uh, he, you know, even though he's not here with us today, he's still commenting. He says, we need to standardize tiers and triggers uh, and decision-making instead of leaving it to an individual to make a decision based on politics uh, of the situation in the midst of the incident or event. And yeah, I, I agree with that to, to, to a point. Um, and the reason why I say to a point is I know that when we had some issues, um, especially with the, um, H1N1, um, we didn't quite make the, uh, tier, if you will, to, to trigger what we're doing right now, uh, with COVID. But <clears throat> sometimes with tiers and triggers, um, you still have to have the ability to make a decision based upon, what the ground is telling you uh, because, you know, we could have been right where we are now with um, social distancing and all this kind of stuff based on H1N1 and, um, and, and, and people would have lost their mind on that as well uh, because, you know, they just, what they do, I guess. Yeah. 
general public loses their mind. That's for sure. Uh, hey, so like, this is my problem. Like, that's a that's a really good call out with the tiers and triggers. But I I feel like emergency management inherently is that is that tie between tactics and not even strategic. It's like it's just political. Like we go in there and the first thing we have to do is talk to a governor. Mm-hmm. The first thing we have to do is, you know, get these, these politicians on board. One, they have the legal authority to make those calls. And so we need them to be on board. Right. But two, if politics get in the way, not just the politicians, but politics get in the way. I mean, COVID is a prime example. One of the greatest lessons learned of 2020 is as soon as a disaster becomes political, I, I rather, as soon as a crisis becomes political, you have a disaster. Absolutely. And we have to pull way back from that. And I think that's a big lesson. Yeah. I, I, somebody asked me the other day, he goes, what's my biggest frustration? And I just said politicians, you know, um, <laughs> so true. you know, and, and, and the thing is, and, and I had to give it to them a little bit, especially mayors, you know, governors, um, you know, their, their job is on the line um, based upon, you know, the outcome of disasters. I mean, take a look at, at uh, Katrina, for instance. I mean, Ray Nagin lost his job. Uh, you know, Blanco lost her job. You know, the, the people were, were, you know, upset, you know, say the least that these things happened. Um, but the problem is, you, well, yeah, that's, bro- you're doing yeah, a great bro- job, Brownie. Yeah. <laughs> he might be listed. So, <laughs> Hey, I hope he does. I'd love to talk to him. <laughs> no, he's, I actually know Michael Brown. He's actually a pretty decent guy. Um, I heard he was. And- yeah. Yeah, and, up, and, and and Michael, you know, I, you know, he kind of got. No, we'll we'll talk about this offline. He kind of got screwed <laughs> on this whole deal, but but anyway, a, um, but it's politics, right? I mean, politics, politics get in the way of the job. So, absolutely, you know, and that's the thing too is 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 that politics do get in the way of the job, um, and and so it 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 sucks that way, you know. But um, I, I understand it in one aspect of it, but the other side of it is if they listen to us before an event. Right. That's because that's the thing is they, is they tend to not want to deal with emergency management um, until something happens and an emergency management becomes, you know, the focus, you know, but they wouldn't listen to us or give us the budget and all those other kind of things associated with emergency manager prior to a disaster. But man, oh, man, we get put on the hot seat as soon as that disaster rolls around, you know, so there was um, there was a, a, a how do I say this? There was a location that I probably won't name a County that was looking for an emergency manager. And at first I was uh, fairly intrigued. This was, uh, you know, several years ago. And I looked at the recent disasters and they had made really, really poor calls and they kept on throwing the people who were in, in, in involved in that response under the bus, essentially and firing them. And so I was like, I just knew that if I had, you know, even taken that job, that that could have happened to me. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's what, I think that we have to be cognitive of, of that. Um, I, I've said this before, Brock Long, one of the most savvy political minds of emergency management. Um, he had to deal with a whole political climate that I don't think anybody wants to deal with. And the fact that he was able to keep his reputation and show that he still is a great emergency manager. I mean, he has checked all the boxes to be great and um, to deal with that political climate and to, to keep your keep your career is a big deal. And I warn people about that all the time, especially young emergency managers. Like you got to pick your fight. You got to know how to like, you got to be a great coordinator. So that, I mean, man, politics, we can talk about politics all day. <laughs> outside of, outside of, I mean, I, 
it's it's a big it's a big deal for our industry and we have to focus so much more on it than i think this traditional like okay i have the uh i have the authority to do whatever i want i was given this authority well it could come back and bite you if you don't do it right Absolutely. No, it will bite you if you don't do it right. So, okay, a couple of things I think I find interesting. Let's let's go through these really quick here. So 2020 worldwide, not just here in the United States, worldwide has been been crazy, right? So we talked about wildfires, plane crashes in Iran and Afghan and Pakistan. I mean Kobe Bryant dies, <laughs> right? Uh oh my gosh, that was this year. <laughs> yeah, it was this year. Uh social unrest, right? I mean, you know, with the all the protests that are still going on by the way um across the country um because of not not just i think you know george floyd um as as much as people want to say that was the uh the catalyst i just think that was the i think that was the excuse i think everything else was there and and just george floyd put everything over the top um match yeah 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 absolutely um oh what we didn't talk about was a crazy explosion in beirut Right, I mean this. Or in Tennessee. Well, that we'll get to that. Crazy explosions, yeah. Yeah, I mean the one in Beirut uh, wasn't on purpose, for as far as I know. You know, um, I don't think they. I think they've all decided that was an accident. Um, You know, that was was really stupid. It was stupid. Talk about messaging. Hey, let's not talk. Let's just. It's not an accident. It was stupid. They stored this stuff for uh, what was it? How many years was it? They like four or five years. I think it was six years. Yeah. Unstable. Yeah, six years. Unstable ammonium nitrate, and it goes. It will go boom. I mean, we keep telling people like, if you don't store things right, that, that's what happened. Hazmat. Well, yeah. And talk about decision making, right? I mean, the whole that was pulled off of a ship, basically because of of a process of policies because the the it was a didn't have the right manifesto or something along those lines. The uh, ship yep. owner uh, said, "Screw it." You know, it was cheaper for him to to give it up than it was to fight it. Um, and then uh, yeah. they, you know, they just, and they didn't know what to do with it after the, after the ship's owner said, screw it, I don't want it. Right yeah. now, now all of a sudden they're like, oh, what do we do with all this stuff? Um, and uh, they just stored it. And then, yeah, bad, bad, bad decision making right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's violence in India. Then we, ha- oh, so we had uh, earthquakes in, in Turkey and a locust swarm outbreak in East Africa. Right. You know, it sounds oh, that was like March. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. Tornado. Yeah, we also had a tornado in uh, Nashville. I don't know if you brought that one up. Oh yep. yeah. Yeah, we haven't got there yet. Yep, tornado in Nashville. <laughs> um, I actually, yeah, I, I actually went. My my uh, uh, sister and niece they um they moved to the Nashville area. Um, and I went back over there. It's some friends that I used to work with here in Orange County, and this was in September. I went back, and um the uh the 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 uh what you call it there the um storm damage is still there i mean you know they're still doing the recovery and it was just amazing to see what got destroyed um along the way yeah people don't realize like once the news leaves like they think like oh you're now in recovery it's a reason the recovery takes 10 years for a reason you can go up to paradise right now and there there are demolished homes are still working to clear things out i mean it's a multi-year function to be able to get you know back to you know whatever you want to call normal yeah yeah i mean absolutely and over there the um uh what do you call it there the uh 
pieces of tin roof were still wrapped around telephone poles and trees and things. It's, it's just amazing to to see that destruction um, still there. Yeah. And you're right, paradise. I mean, heck, we we still have uh, we still have buildings and stuff. We're not buildings, vacancies uh, where buildings used to be uh, from the you know Widow Narrows earthquake that happened in '87. It just never got rebuilt. Yeah. So you you know, I mean, this is. I mean, heck, go to Katrina still. I mean, there's the Lower Ninth Ward is still devastated from that. So, I was there. I was there a couple of years ago, and um, like a big problem with them uh, again talking about policy is a lot of people had inherited. It was very. It's a really poor area, um, socioeconomic. Just it's just really tough there. And when there you drive by plot after plot after plot, and uh, we were talking to one of the residents like. They just didn't have the paperwork. They'd been there for four generations and they couldn't prove that they had been there. And, uh, like that's, that's a real tragedy too. Of like, Hey, my family's been in this one spot for four generations. I'm not making the argument that they should have rebuilt the ninth ward. I'm just talking about a policy issue mm-hmm. that we have to address. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Talk about volcano that you said earlier. We had a volcano. We had two volcanoes this year. You know, uh, that one off one was in the Philippines. The other one was just recently over in Hawaii. Yeah, a couple <laughs> days ago. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we have um, uh, the the bombing of, uh, of of Nashville again. We're back to Nashville. And here's the thing about that. <clears throat> um, that's just like one of the most bizarre, bizarre things that, that I've seen in, in my years, you know. Um, I mean, the guy goes out there, I, I, there's at this point, there has been no, uh, mess, uh, messages from him politically speaking, you know, people want to call it terrorism, but it's not, it doesn't fit the bill of terrorism. That's the other thing too. We can talk about this for a bit. Terrorism. We, we, people, people not in our industry throw the term terrorism around like anything that bad happens. You know, uh, I say they, bad. they did, they did that in Colorado to, yesterday. Did you hear about Colorado? No, no. Fill me um, in. yeah. 35, uh, town of 3,500, um, uh, coordinated, um, attack. That's what they're calling it. Um, uh, activists went and basically destroyed the, um, the gas, the natural gas, uh, pipeline in the town. And so they were having, they were having a snowfall, you know, they were having already eight, in, eight inches at that point. And then all of a sudden the gas went off. So no heat. So, uh, the, the town was basically scrambling to fix these three locations. And then they had to go and individually turn on the pilot lights at every single residence in that town, uh, you know, during freezing cold weather. So, you know, immediately the, um, the town commissioner called it an act of terrorism. Um, John Fontaine says, uh, Aspen cut, uh, gas to the entire, uh, it was the, the entire town. So it was Aspen, Colorado. Um, well, I mean, Thanks, that could be, see now that could be terrorism, right? That could fall into that, to that because if there's, if there's a political message or you're trying to influence people to make a political decision, um, I mean, you know, that's terrorism, mm. but like, you know, um, I mean the, the idea here, this bomb going off, crazy people doing crazy things isn't terrorism the the high school shooters um aren't terrorists unless they have a political message that goes along with it 
and right. or or that was their intent, right? I mean, there's there there has to be a terrorist intent to go along with it, but it's a terrible, terrible, terrible crime. It's a it's a tragedy. It's 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 everything that goes along with it. But but we need, if we're gonna start calling things terrorism that aren't terrorism, we're we're gonna have to redefine what terrorism really is. You know, so there there's well, that. A, that goes back to the whole messaging. I mean, uh, John John called it out right. Um, it was an environment. It could be environmental terrorism, right? So. Like you can, you can, uh, start to navigate that, but yeah, when you start using broad terms, words still matter and, um, we should constantly fight to, to both use that common denominator of of that language and try to have the impact of, of those words, because to your point earlier, uh, mandatory evacuation should mean something. It should mean you have to get out or you're going to be negatively impacted by this. And I think we start to become, um, when we start playing that political game again, um, that's, that's when um, bad things happen. But you didn't talk about the most important thing in 2020. I'm really mm. surprised by that. The most important thing that happened in 2020 is that Todd DeVoe and John Scardina met on the <laughs> podcast. We got to talk about this stuff. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we are we are at the we're at the uh, a little bit over, but that's uh, that's okay. Oh, John did say it was uh, Earth First is the name of the uh, the terrorist uh, organization that uh, uh, popped that. So that's that's interesting. So um, so yeah, I mean we're hitting the end here. I, I know that uh, uh, we went a little bit over today. Everybody, thank you so much for for sticking with us. And the cool part about it is I'm actually going to be on John's podcast, uh, Disaster Tough. So um, check him out as as well uh thanks for uh pinch hitting for uh for dan today he's uh he's a little bit under the weather and got uh, it. yeah i mean uh, it's uh, it's uh mrs face though man a big burly fuzzy face that he has there you know dan will hope you to have a great new year dan and i uh, hope that uh, you're feeling better everybody else out there hey happy new year to everybody you know um it can't only get well, I was about to say something probably wrong, but I was going to say, can yeah, I get better? on wood moment. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't do not say that. <laughs> uh, I, I will I will take that back. Uh, that being said, uh, I hope that it gets better next year. Um, you know, we, uh, we're we still going to be in the midst of COVID. It's not over uh, just because New Year changes. Uh, I'd like to see how things go uh, with the vaccine. We'll see how that runs. Um, I have some friends right now that are already uh, getting the vaccine. They say their arms are a lot sore than getting the flu shot. So there's <laughs> there's that. Um, and you got to get that twice. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, that being said, yeah. That being said, I, I really do uh, thank everybody for, for being with with us throughout the year with EM Student and EM Weekly. Um, you know, I, I can't, I do this because you guys, right? And I do this for you all. This is a community that we have here. We really built this emergency management community through podcasting. It's so great to be part of it. And I, I want to say thank you for, for letting me be part of your lives. And we'll see you, uh, see you next year. Stay healthy. Stay hydrated. 